So here we are at the uh, end of the first day, the first full day of practice. Often, in my experience, the first day of a retreat is difficult. Major adjustment from the busyness of life filled with distractions to a screeching halt of no distractions from the mind or body, other than the ones that we fabricate. So if you've been having a difficult time today, that's normal. You're in the right place. And if you've been having a very easy time and you're really enjoying yourself, also good, also in the right place. I have actually found that sometimes the first day of retreat, I'm so tired that I'm sort of in this fog and that it's a really pleasant fog for the first day or two. Everybody's experience is different. Whatever is happening is perfect for you. I had the feeling today seeing everybody practicing, sitting and walking slowly and sort of settling in of just um, a lot of appreciation. I felt very inspired and hopeful by uh, observing everybody practice today. I had a bit of a vision of retreat being like uh, Buddha boot camp. slowly uncovering our awakened potential, the Buddha nature within each one of us. Unfortunately, it's not always a pleasant trip, is it? Sometimes this uncovering, this process of mindfulness, of paying attention, really shows us some difficult things about our own minds, about how we relate to the discomfort of our bodies, about how loud the judgments, fears, desires are. I myself found myself uh, on a meditation retreat at 19 years old. Not quite sure what I was doing there. Not quite sure I wanted to be there, but had signed up and was there. 
I remember the first full day and just how many times my mind said, run. <laughs> there is so much, so many better things to be doing. And how insistent my mind was that I had made a mistake. And that retreat wasn't for me. Maybe for other people. But not for me. I had a, actually, I had a very difficult time even staying. Because my mind was so loud. And at that point, I was completely identified and addicted to everything my mind said. Still really believing my thoughts, my feelings. But for whatever reason, I decided I'd stick it out. And it didn't get much better. But I felt such a sense of accomplishment when the retreat was over, that I had stayed, that I hadn't done what my mind told me to do that I had defied it. Because my mind has gotten me into a lot of trouble. If I do what my mind tells me to do, I cause a lot of suffering for myself, for other people too. So it's such a big teaching, and this practice of mindfulness is such a huge teaching that we actually don't have to obey our minds. That we can begin to relate to them through paying attention, through redirecting the attention to the breath, to the body, not staying lost in the stories, in the judgments, coming back over and over to the breath, to the physical experience, letting the mind be in the background. Such a relief. So freeing to get those moments of respite, of freedom. And I got hooked right away. And I hope that some of you are having the same experience. Many of you have been doing this for a while. But I knew right away that no matter how difficult this meditation business is, that it was my only hope. That it was the only thing that was going to work. To find the kind of well-being, contentment, happiness, freedom from suffering that I'd been seeking in all kinds of confused ways the first half of my life. But this practice takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? It's not like we can just say, tell our minds, okay, pay attention to the breath now. 
I'll be back later. It's this constant effort. I've come to see and experience and understand that the Buddha taught that this whole process of awakening, this path of mindfulness that leads to wisdom and compassion, is this counter-instinctual process. The Buddha actually called it against the stream. That it's a process of going against the norm, the stream of distraction. Because the mind is normally like a monkey, swinging from branch to branch, from future to past, from judgment to fear to desire. It's just what the untrained mind does. So to undertake this path of training the mind to pay attention to the present moment, to the breath and the body, this taming of the monkey mind is really a radical endeavor. I once asked a teacher, well, what's the definition of mindfulness? And they said, non-judgmental awareness. And I had a hard time understanding that because I got the awareness part, right? But a lot of what I was aware of was my judgments and judging myself for judging. I get the paying attention, mindfulness, awareness of what's happening. The non-judgmental, it took me quite a while to get that piece of not judging what's happening. Because our minds tend to say, I like this, I don't like that. This is pleasant, this is unpleasant. More of pleasure, please, less of pain, please. Non-judgmental awareness, being with what's happening as it's happening, without the extra, and I like it, I want to keep it, and I don't like it, I want to get rid of it. So we begin this process of going against the stream, of training our minds, with this first foundation of present time awareness in the form of breath, body, sensory experience. Over and over, bringing the attention back with this quality of investigation, is my breath coming in? Is it going out? What's it feel like? What's the temperature or the texture of this breath? 
Is it deep? Is it shallow? As the foundation. Present time awareness in itself, mindfulness of in itself, I have found is quite a relief. Just letting go of the future and all of the fear of the future or craving of the future. Just letting go of the past, all of the difficulty of the past. It's quite a relief just to be in the here and now for those moments of pure, non-judgmental awareness. But in and of itself, that experience of mindfulness, that relief of present time awareness, isn't liberation, isn't freeing, isn't even really transformational. And if we're taking on this task of training the mind in the service of liberation, in the service of freedom, lessening our suffering, finding more happiness, more freedom in life. We have to take it further than just mindfulness, just the present time awareness. So over these coming days, we'll expand the instructions from just breath awareness to beginning to really investigate as the mind begins to connect and sustain the attention with the present moment, beginning to really inquire, well, what is this moment like? What's this experience of the breath of the body, thoughts, feelings? Is this a pleasant experience? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral, peaceful? What's my inner relationship? How am I relating to the discomfort of sitting still? The pleasure of this fantasy I've been lost in for the last 10 minutes. How much clinging to pleasure? How much aversion to pain? How much resistance, how much judgment? really inquiring, investigating our relationship to what's happening, to the truth of this moment. Now this is where we begin to get free. These first day of practice, we're training our minds to be present in the service of when we get here, when we're in the present moment, then we can begin to change our relationship to the causes of our suffering, to the causes of our difficulty in life, our unhappiness. We can't do that work unless we're here. The old, you have to be present to play. You have to be present to win. So this breath and body mindfulness that we're doing today, tomorrow, is arriving into the present moment so that we can begin to change our relationship to the natural craving that we all have 
for life to be pleasurable all of the time. The natural resistance, aversion, avoidance that we all experience of not wanting pain, not wanting discomfort. There's a way in which this practice, even just the training of the mind, is this form of inner rebellion. We're rebelling against the habits, the conditioned, habitual tendencies of the mind and body. The mind's habit is to wander, is to plan and remember. And we're asking ourselves to break that habit, to rebel against that tendency, to focus and connect with the present moment over and over and over. We're asking ourselves to be kind, friendly, and accepting of discomfort. When the body's natural, biological response to pain is to push it away. It's our built-in biological survival mechanism to crave pleasure and to hate pain. That's how our species has survived. This pushing away, judging, fearing, this holding on to, craving, clinging, works very well for survival. Right? So it's why we're all still breathing. Yet as we all know, I assume, it doesn't work so well for happiness doesn't work so well for contentment, for having a life that has some ease, some well-being, some freedom in it. If we can only be happy when life is pleasant, we're in big trouble. That means we're going to be unhappy more than half of the time, or at least half of the time. Because life is a balance of pleasure and pain. And this practice is allowing us to change our relationship, to transform the way we relate to what the mind says, to how the body reacts. And to uncover this awakened wisdom that understands that whatever's happening now is in process. It has arisen. It shall pass. Constantly changing. 
Each breath that comes goes. Each sensation changes, passes. Each emotion, each thought. Everything in process. Being known by mindfulness, by awareness. And if we're really paying attention, we begin to have the ability to choose, the ability to respond to each moment rather than react. I personally don't think that just mindfulness is enough. I think that we have to add friendliness to our practice. Deborah said it last night. Be paying attention, being aware of what's happening, and relating to it with kindness. Because if we're just mindful, if we're just paying attention to what's happening, it's a bit dry. It's a bit cold. So adding this metta, like we did this afternoon, this intention to be kind, loving, caring, to what it is that we're paying attention to, to each moment, bringing this intention to be friendly towards ourselves, to be merciful and caring, even to that aspect of our mind that is so judgmental, so fear-based, so confused and scared. So paying attention to it, knowing that it's come and that it'll change, and doing our best in each moment to be friendly, to be understanding, to be kind towards what is happening now. Now, when I first heard these teachings, I really got the mindfulness as being practical. I really got it. Present time awareness, letting go of the future, letting go of the past, being in the here and now, I really got it. When I started to hear these loving kindness, compassion teachings, I wasn't convinced. I thought maybe that's something extra the hippies added in. Because when I, again, as I said, when I looked in mindfulness into my own experience, I saw a lot of judgment and fear and anger, shame. I didn't see much kindness or friendliness there. And I was kind of being told, as I'm about to tell you, that actually this compassion, this friendliness, is within each one of us. 
we gave these instructions today of, of metta, of loving kindness, to cultivate it. And we can cultivate this feeling. We can train our mind and heart in this direction. But what is also true is that when we begin to change our relationship to the mind, to the body, to the heart, when the aversion, resistance, judgment, anger, hatred begins to subside, when the clinging, clinging and craving and constant attachment begins to subside through our mindfulness, through our paying attention, all that remains is kindness and compassion, appreciation and gratitude and generosity. Because the truth is, meditation isn't developing anything. No matter how much you meditate, you're not going to develop anything that's not already here. Meditation is actually a process of uncovering. that which has been buried, that which has been hidden. And each moment of mindfulness, each response of friendliness, gets us closer to the truth, gets us closer to that awakened potential, to wisdom, to compassion. But this practice takes great effort. It takes the willingness to sit with discomfort, which is counter to our instincts. Our instincts say, discomfort, change your posture. Go for a walk, turn on the television, avoid it. Or at least judge it. At least get angry about the pain. This practice is asking us to sit with pain without judging it, without trying to get rid of it, and taking it even farther from our instincts, which is to soften, relax into it, accept it as it is and meet it with compassion, to be friendly and kind towards our pain. And every cell in our being in the beginning is saying, this isn't safe. How could this be safe to just accept pain? I'm supposed to run from pain. This is my biological survival. Likewise with pleasure. As perhaps you've noticed, when your mind gets lost into a pleasant fantasy, memory, thought, that attachment to it, 
that craving for more pleasure. It's just what the mind does. And we here we are saying, actually, the path to freedom is non-attachment, is letting the pleasure come and letting it go without clinging to it. When every cell in our body and conditioned nature of our mind is in the habit of, hold on to it. Get more if possible. Don't just let it go. What are you doing? And so to change our relationship to this very natural human experience of a mind that is used to being distracted, a body that is used to pushing away pain, trying to hold on to pleasure. There's a radical endeavor that's going against the norm. And it takes the kind of courage, the kind of willingness of like a spiritual warrior of saying, I'm going to show up over and over, no matter how difficult it gets. One moment at a time, one breath at a time. I'm going to soften, accept, let go. I'm going to bring my attention back to whatever is happening over and over. I'm not going to do what my mind wants me to do. I'm going to keep paying attention. I'm going to break this addiction to my thinking mind. At this point, it's a bit like we have just stepped out of the matrix. It's a little bit late to step back in once you've been paying attention for a little while and you begin to see that the old habitual reactive way of living doesn't work. That it's a delusion, it's an illusion. That happiness comes from pleasure or from avoidance or distraction. And so here we are doing the real work. And this work that we're doing 
that we've begun, that will continue this practice. has the potential to lead to transformation, to happiness. This foundation that we're laying of mindfulness is the foundation that we can walk to freedom. And not only for ourselves, but truly for the benefit of all beings It's a poem that gets used too much around the Buddhist circles, so I edited it because it was a little new agey for me. I don't care about what you do for a living. I want to know what you love most, and if you dare to face your own demons. I don't care how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dreams, for the adventure of being alive. I don't care what your fucking sign is. I want to know if you've touched the center of your own sorrow. If you've been opened by life's betrayals, or if you've become hard and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can tolerate pain, mine or your own, without trying to hide it or change it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can get crazy and dance, letting the energy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, be realistic, or to remember the limitations of being human. I don't care if the story you're going to tell me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul. I want to know if you can be faithful and therefore trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even when it's not pretty every day. And if you can source your life from wisdom and compassion. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours, mine, and still stand up and shout, gabba gabba hey, for no reason at all. I don't care about where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone, and do what needs to be done for the children. I don't care who you are what band you're in, 
or how cool you are. I want to know if you'll stand in the middle of the fire with me and fight for what we know is right. I don't care what religion, race, sexual preference, or political stance you have. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else falls away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself. And if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. Meditation retreats slowly taught me how to love myself, how to truly enjoy the quiet moments and being alone. But I'll tell you the truth. It took me years of coming before I got there. Thank you. We wanted to encourage us all to come to meditations on time, to follow the schedule to the best of your ability. And uh, that once you're in the hall for a sitting, to stay, to not kind of come and go, but to come and sit for the period. Of course, if it's an emergency, get up. <laughs> Don't stay if it's really, you know, there's something going on. But have the intention in the practice to come and to sit for the period. If you get uncomfortable, you can change your posture. But better to stay in the room if possible. And to do our best to be here on time. To, con you know, to create this container so that everybody is supporting each other, this Sangha practice we talked about last night. Oh, yeah. We did have some requests, um, especially for the early morning bell ringers, to ring them loud whoever you are, please, yeah, <laughs> please.
willing to sit for a moment. May each one of us find the energy and willingness to do what needs to be done, to find the freedom we took birth to experience. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.